bum bum bottom 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 bum bum
Cassandra Pop does sound like a villain name, and I <laughs> I sincerely hope that they're not secretly evil. Well, they're not billionaires. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, anyway. And it is nice to have a social media platform that came after comic book couples counseling. Yeah, yeah, where I don't have like 10 years of going like, what am I doing out here? Who am I? I know who I am now. I'm Lisa Gullickson from Comic Book Couples Counseling. What else are we thankful for? At the risk of our list of things we're thankful for being just a list of plugs, I am <laughs> very thankful for our upcoming screening of Howard the Duck in partnership with Film Club at the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester and Four Color Fantasies, our favorite Winchesterian book place of selling comics. <laughs> That's what it's called, Lisa. <laughs> uh, we actually went to Four Color Fantasies this past weekend. We met up with Eric. Who we're thankful for. We're, who we're super thankful for. We love for, this guy. And we're thankful that he's willing to do this screening series kicking off with Howard the Duck because as we learned this past weekend, he hates Howard the Duck. He does. Odds are though, so do you. So you can no longer use this as an excuse not to come because Eric's going to be there and I doubt you hate it more than him. I don't think our screening is designed as an in defense of Howard the Duck. <laughs> It's more of a conversation starter, and it's also, you know, the first Marvel movie that ever existed. And so we wanted to start at that marvelous beginning before jumping into other weirdo screenings like Friday Foster or Ghost World. But or also, whatever. yeah, I'm gonna defend Howard the Duck. It's a great movie. You're not gonna stop me. It's fun. It's cute. It's irreverent. One of my favorite Patreon episodes that we ever did was our celebration of Howard the Duck movie. And in revisiting it, I think we found a lot of good qualities that people tend to ignore because they just remember the stink of the bomb. Mm. But really, if I'm being honest, what I'm most thankful about our Howard the Duck screening is that it has kickstarted an artistic drive in Lisa mm. to do art again. And you have done a trilogy of album homages using Howard the Duck. So Howard the Duck in place of David Bowie, in place of The Clash, in place of Taylor Swift, Lisa. I think I have to throw partial credit to our Twitter community um, somebody reached out to me to collaborate on a secret project, which may never see the light of day. We do not know. Secret comics project starring Lisa. Not starring Lisa. Co-starring Lisa. <laughs> um, but that, by necessity, I had to do that on Procreate. And I discovered how actually uh, intuitive and easy Procreate is to use, which made me want to do some Howard the Duck posters. And now I'm just really, I, I, when I come home, the first thing I want to do is pick up my iPad and start drawing. Do you think you're going to do more Howard the Duck album homages? Homages? Um, That's hard to say. Like, um, my, my artistic skills are still like fairly limited and it's hard <laughs> to find ones where it's just like, okay, I just have to draw a duck. Cause it like, I can't draw people. I can't draw <laughs> motorcycles. Not yet. Not Maybe. yet. I don't know. You didn't think you were going to be able to do that clash one because that was a little complicated, but you knocked that out of the park. Oh, thank you. So Lisa, are you taking suggestions from our listeners? If they're like, do Abbey Road, will you do Abbey Road? Abbey Road would be hard because it's four people <laughs> and which means I would probably have to draw Beverly and yeah. that would be really hard to draw. Yeah. Beverly, uh, Tim Robbins' character, 
character and that crazy alien creature at the end all going across the crosswalk. I can give it a go if somebody insists. Yeah, I insist. But not if Brad insists. No, no. Because he loves me unconditionally. But you, the listeners, can insist, insist upon Lisa to do more Howard the Duck album art. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, I know what I'm thankful for. Oh? My brand new all-time favorite public access movie review show (laughs) co-starring two late Gen Xers (laughs) sitting on two red chairs. The B&B show on Prince George's uh, public access uh, community television. Yeah, I didn't know this was going to be a thing in my life, but Brian Young, the turtle dork, who you heard on our episode on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 movie adaptation, Mm -hmm. he invited me to co-host this show with him. And I was like, what do I got to do? He's like, you just got to show up. We're going to film you talking about some movies. I'll talk to. And that's what we did. And that episode is out there online. Links in the show notes. It's on the Prince George's County TV YouTube page. Of course, If you're in the Maryland area, the show will air on Comcast 76 and Verizon 42 in Prince George's County on Monday and Thursday at 6.30 p.m. and Saturdays at 11.30 a.m. I'm going to be on TV. (laughs) It's so (laughs) weird. I've barely watched the YouTube show. It's 30 minutes. I can almost not handle seeing myself in that frame moving. But... I used to not be able to listen to this podcast, and I've gotten over that uh, ego hurdle. So hopefully I'll be able to watch all 30 minutes of this first episode at some point. I am just so proud of you that you're doing this show with Brian, because I really do feel like this is the natural... You have to admit, this is fulfilling a childhood dream for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I loved public access growing up. There's something really special about that format. Uh, You know, we're not Siskel and Ebert. Uh, We're not quite between two ferns. We're somewhere (laughs) in the middle. And I love, I love that vibe. And I I know we're just going to get better. Yeah. And I just got to say, I'm thankful for you, sweetheart. Yeah. You are my best friend. Doing this podcast with you is so fun. And it makes me excited to see what we're going to do next. Yeah. Well, what we're going to do next is talk about Fantastic Four Full Circle, <laughs> which is a comic that I am super thankful for. This is a book that I didn't actually think was ever going to happen. You may recall, like, over the last decade, there's been rumblings of Alex Ross wanting to, like, do this graphic reinterpretation of the Fantastic Four. And if you have the Marvelocity album, uh, that, that big coffee table book that he did, there's, like, six pages devoted to his idea of what he would do with the Fantastic Four. And when that came out, I was like, oh, I guess that dream has died. But no, thanks to Abrams Comic Arts... It's alive again, and it's got to be one of the best comics of the year. I think it's one of our ongoing themes in our Creator Corner conversations, like ideas that happen fast and ideas that happen slowly. Mm. Like, it makes me think about um, our conversation with Todd McFarlane and Greg Capullo, where they had been talking about doing this Spawn Batman book for years, and, like... Sometimes you just have to take an idea and put it on the shelf while other things happen. And then you never know when 
you can go back to that idea, blow the dust off, and make something that's amazing. And when you do, you have to do it quickly. Yes. <laughs> you gotta yes. get that idea done. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's um, truly inspiring to see someone like Alex Ross, to see folks like Todd McFarlane and Greg Capullo cultivate this idea and then let it go and, and not like you become tortured by letting mm -hmm. it go. I mean, I think that's just part of the process. You have to be okay with ideas dying sometimes, but just because they look dead doesn't mean they're totally dead. And when the publisher fires the go gun, that's the thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Firing the go the gun. starter pistol. <laughs> the starter pistol. When the starter pistol gets shot, then it's off to the races and you have to deliver on the promise of that idea. And Fantastic Four Full Circle definitely does that. It's like sourdough bread. <laughs> like I'm going to invite another an, a, another metaphor uh -huh, where uh -huh, you have uh -huh. this, like the starter is sitting on its, on the shelf and you could ignore the starter uh -huh. and just let the starter die, but they continue to feed the starter. And then like when it's time to bake the bread, you know, it's just a matter of hours and yes. you have to get the bread out of the oven on time. That's the better metaphor than my go gun. Yeah, 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 the go gun, <laughs> which you keep under your seat of the Fantastic Car. <laughs> yeah, that's where it is. Uh, but yeah, okay, all right, Fantastic Four full circle. One, it's this massive treasury-sized comic. Mm -hmm. It is the format that Alex Ross shines the most in. I need more books in this treasury format. Abram Comics Art puts out beautiful Crazy. physical media. Yes. I love holding this yeah. book. Yeah, they are quickly becoming one of our favorite publishers. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever they're at like Baltimore Comic Con or New York Comic Con, we make a beeline right to them. And we just like run our hands and fingers all over their like beautiful, beautiful books. Um, I gotta warn y'all, we come <laughs> into this conversation with Alex Ross Real hot. We just, right out of the, the go gun, we're like, this is a masterpiece. You are a genius. <laughs> we tell him that like six or seven times. Let us just sit at your feet and you can just tell us your ways. We're just going to bask in the glow of this Zoom room. What's also really lovely about this conversation with Alex is that it also operates as a second opinion to our previous Fantastic Four Sue and Reed couples session. That's right. When it comes to these two, Alex Ross is an expert. He's a love expert on Reed and Sue and has very strong opinions on them as a couple. What's great about talking to Alex Ross is that he is very literalistic in his art and in the way that he writes. Like, I, I say this in the in our interview, and, I, and I, I don't feel like I articulated it perfectly, but when you see Alex Ross's art, you go like, oh, well, he just took a photograph yes. of... Batman or Superman or the Fantastic Four. Right. And this is what they actually look like and everybody else is just doing drawings. Right. That's also the way that he talks about Reed and Sue and Ben and Johnny. Like they're real people. Real people right out of Fantastic Four number one. Right, which is how you approach comics. Yes. When we discuss these characters in our couple sessions, you don't want me to go into the editorial decisions. You just want to accept the plot as history. Yeah, because that, that is the way that they're intended to be read. I don't like the idea that this book is secretly about some information that we do not have access to as a reader. That being said, he does stick some little editorial Easter eggs in there as well, which yeah, we get yeah, to. Yeah, uh, this is also a celebration of Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. And this conversation pairs really well with our conversation that we had last week with Bill Sienkiewicz, Ryan Silbert, and Luke Lieberman talking about Stan Lee's Alliance's Orphans. 
In that episode, we celebrated the big ideas of Stan Lee. And in this episode, we celebrate Jack Kirby's razor sharp execution. As big and broad as Stan Lee's ideas are is as specific and detailed as Jack Kirby's imagination is. His fingerprints really are the ones that are all over the Fantastic Four. He's the one who built the mechanism that moves the story forward. The look, how they function, how their powers work. How they interact together as mm. a family. Hopefully everyone has already read Fantastic Four Full Circle. It's widely available. It is a masterpiece. Get used to that word. Mm -hmm. You need to own it. You need to have it on your shelf or in your digital library. Although, again, the large treasury format, it is a book that you want a physical copy of. But hopefully you've read it. We are going to get into the nitty gritty of the story. What's cool about it is that it is a sequel to Fantastic Four number 51, This Man, This Monster. It involves the character of Ricardo Jones coming back from the negative zone and spewing out all these crazy negative zone creatures, causing havoc in the Baxter building and Reed and the gang going, uh, we better go investigate what the heck is happening down there. Back in 51... Ricardo Jones infiltrated the Fantastic Four by capturing and then presenting as Ben Grimm. But once he was in the Ben Grimm suit, I guess, in a way, he couldn't help but embody Ben Grimm's selfless heroism. Yeah, and he saves Reed Richards in the negative zone from perishing and supposedly sacrificed himself. So when he pops up in full circle, it's like, whoa, what the heck is going on? On. It's a great mystery. What I also really love about Fantastic Four Full Circle is that it is written by Alex Ross, mm -hmm. and he really does try to emulate the vibe, the tone of those Jack Kirby and Stan Lee comics, even through the dialogue. And I think he's incredibly successful. But just like his art, his emulation isn't something that's like dusty no. and old. It's like, uh, it's extremely vital and present. And uh, he's making like pop culture references. He's talking about Ridley Scott movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the color, that pop art color mm -hmm. that he is slathering atop full circle. It's so my jam. <laughs> it's so Lisa's jam. It's my jam. It does place it in the era of the 60s, but I wouldn't say that this is a 60s comic. Mm -hmm. It's not like a, like a parody. No, it's a contemporary comic. This is in continuity with the Fantastic Four, set slightly in their past. And this might be my favorite reinterpretation or interpretation of Sue Storm totally. and how she functions within the context of Fantastic Four. I feel like a lot of other iterations of Sue Storm try to kind of move her away from the way that she was in those early Fantastic Four issues. But what Alex Ross does is not change the continuity at all, but instead celebrate and pull to the fore what exactly she offers to the team. Yeah, I, her power set in this book is essential, mm -hmm. but also her personality. Yeah. So I, I might agree with you that this is up there with my favorite Sue Storms. But I also like how when you have four incredibly powerful individuals on a team, 
somebody's always got to take the back seat. And in this <laughs> in this story, it's Ben. Uh, yeah, which is a little surprising. And we get into that with Alex. Our conversation begins us like heaping praise on him in full circle, being very, very fanboy and fangirly. That's okay. We're comfortable. We're vulnerable. But we're with you. You understand us. You won't judge us. <laughs> uh, and then we go into our opinions on Sue and Reed. And we, we talk about how like, in the past, on those Fantastic Four Sue and Reed CBCC episodes, it sparked a lot of conversation, a lot of arguments. And then Alex Ross is like, yeah, what do you mean? Let's talk about mm -hmm. that. And I was like, oh, I wasn't prepared to, <laughs> to talk about that with Alex. But then we do. And it's, yeah, th this, is this is a really special and cool conversation. And then we talk about the monkeys. <laughs> and then we talk about the monkeys. Because I cannot be contained. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait. I can't wait. But so, yeah, let's let's just get to it. Let's get to this conversation with Alex Ross. Alex, thank you so much for joining us at Comic Book Couples Counseling. Welcome. Thank you for having me. We are crazy excited to have you on the show. Uh, Fantastic Four Full Circle is a masterpiece. We're just going to put that out there right now. We love it so much. And we the Fantastic so Four is so special to us. Yeah, we've had many arguments about the relationship dynamics between Sue and Reed on this podcast. Really? Oh, can you give me an idea of some of what you said? Oh, well, you know, Reed so often comes off as dismissive of Sue, especially early on. She really is okay. the invisible woman. <laughs> and when you read those early issues, it gets your dander up a little bit. And then when you have creators who reinterpret that relationship a little bit, it can kind of frustrate us because we want it to be honest to the original, but also sometimes the original is really horrifying. I would love to start with your interpretation of Reed because in full circle, Reed is wrong twice. And that's like one of the things I love about Reed, like that he is a scientist and he is fallible and he makes mistakes and he's just like, well, you know, I was wrong on that one. And then, the, and then Ben's like, yeah. Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah, you were. <laughs> Well, I do think there's some shades of gray in there. Like, uh, I think I know one of those instances you're talking about where there's the question of like what he had originally classified this Earth planet as. And mm -hmm. then he corrects it, which is actually me through Reed saying, you know what, what John Byrne had defined this area of this interface with this Earth as before. Um, well, I'm reclassifying that. And what I'm doing is saying, you know what? Jack Kirby had thrown out this idea about an alternate earth that goes through this different evolutionary path, uh, divergent from our own. So, you know what, let's go back to that idea. Whereas John had classified it as one thing in the eighties mm -hmm. and I'm going back to what Jack had postulated, figuring like, ah, well, you know what, there's more creative possibilities here. So let's go that direction rather than just saying, uh, no, that's just an interface to Earth. So that's one divergent thing. But what was the other one you you noted? Oh. Yeah, Lisa notes? has her notes. Um, I'm trying to think is... Well, I, there is his uh, new theory having to do with the negative zone, which isn't like something he's necessarily like a, a, an admission of wrongness. But, but it, like he has a, to evolve it. His, his um, mind is constantly like evolving. Where, where I feel like in the past, maybe he was like a little bit more set and stubborn. Well, you know what that relates to? Again, it's it's me putting my head in this thing saying that, you know what, what we know, of course, 
this fictional place of the negative zone is something where writers are adding to it whatever they want over time and defining it to reflect whatever things you want to make it represent, whether it's the alien worlds we visit within it or the particular aggressiveness of the stuff we've shown coming from it. So having Reed kind of say this, that the place itself seems to really deny traditional laws of science, not in a traditional sense of this is an antimatter universe. It's more like a potpourri of whatever science the given authors want to say. I mean, think about it. Jack Kirby, when he first establishes the place, he shows Reed wearing um, a, yeah. a helmet to go into it because you assume you have to bring your own oxygen into this space. Yet in the same story, the thing isn't wearing a helmet, so he doesn't need oxygen help. And then they later decide in their their forays into it when they show up, uh, and I don't need to cite the issues where this happens, but basically they just decide, ah, it's the team, they go off into this space and, hey, laws of science be damned, they're flowing through space without oxygen help, and there's wind, apparently, yeah. or, you know, you've got propellant and all this sort of stuff that can't exist in the vacuum of space. So he's sort of realizing, in effect, this is whatever subjective rules one wants to put to it. And in his own way, my closing bit with that book is citing something that I would do with the character rolling forward if I was writing the book, is Reed's beginning to realize parts of his universe, if not his whole universe, are governed by creative choices beyond mm -hmm. his own life. He's realizing his own existence as a character who's written. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's how the most brilliant guy in the Marvel Universe could realize what we are doing with him. Right. Oh, man, I love that. I love that. What I find fascinating, though, is as he is like struggling with these ideas, the person you give the last bit of dialogue to is Ben, where Ben's just like, can't you just enjoy a victory? Can't you just relax? Can't you just have a good day? And this story does spin out of what is probably the most famous, at least certainly in our household, the most famous Fantastic Four story, and certainly the most fa famous Ben Grimm story. And so you come from that place and you end with him what what why why that's the question <laughs> well if you think about it look at what i did in the story it seems like it's got a center point of ben Grimm as mattering so much but it's really me showing my obsession with reed richards as a sort of analog character from my own perspective and reed becomes the stand-in for the artist writer creating comics mm. so that's him as my metaphor whereas ben Grimm is kind of the personality of comics the charm of comics but he's really not the lead of our story he's more a voice that adds in some flavor but this is really a read story and i've i've felt when in identifying what i love about the ff it really, to the tradition of the 60s, where you had these certain kind of male leads who would dominate whatever the drama was, he is that traditional figure, and he is the lead of the book. He's the lead of this particular drama. He's who you're really following. He's who I identify with the most. And there's just the illusion I put forward that this is somehow a Ben story. Yeah. 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 I, I love that. And also, I love it as like the mirror 
to Jack Kirby because Jack Kirby always saw himself as Ben Grimm. So it felt like it was supposed to be a Reed Richards book, but then you always find yourself like, oh, I can't get Ben Grimm off of my mind. So like it, you being like the opposite side of that coin is just like so fascinating. Yeah. And the thing is, I think that Jack was 